This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness, personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. Welcome to another episode of the Game Time Podcast, another Premier League review for you. Ryan and Tim are with me. Guys, how are you doing? Good. Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Tim, very, very happy, despite the first game we're going to talk about, being Spurs absolutely dismantling Chelsea. Yeah, I think it's Wembley. like out of like delusion now, to be honest. I've sort of gone manic. <laughs> <laughs> I was not happy on Saturday. Right, t- talk us through your emotions before we get uh, bogged down in all the statistical analysis. What, what were you feeling with that game? Well, I mean, while watching it, uh, I wanted to like punch things very hard. Um, it was bad, but I've sort of over the last few days, I've tried to take like a positive, like sort of ignore the game and look at the positives of the rest of the season we've had so far. But like just looking at the game itself, we were just abysmal. We were so bad. Um, to fe- we like were just awful in attack. We created nothing, and like I don't even have words to describe our Morata at the moment. <laughs> oh, refreshingly honest. On the other side of things, Ryan, as the Spurs fan, I'm imagining you wanted to punch things, but for a very different reason. <laughs> <laughs> just punching all of the good things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't really think we had it in us, to be honest. Um, especially the way we've been playing for the last few weeks. Um, as I mentioned before, though, I um, I actually babied the game so hard. I went out watching it. I thought we were going to get absolutely slaughtered. <laughs> I, thought I just couldn't put myself through the ringer. So I thought, you know what? I may as well save myself like the um, the pain and just go out and uh, have a few drinks. Then came back at seven, and I was just yeah, it's pretty pretty exciting. But yeah, it was it was mad really to see how well we played and how badly Chelsea played. And like I say, a lot of the talk beforehand was about like the beaten run and like how we haven't played well a lot this season and all that. And so, yeah, it's very refreshingly good. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the unbeaten run. Chelsea, the first team out of the top three to, to falter in that 3-1, it was some, honestly, some really, really good football on display from Spurs, not so much from Chelsea. How good was that Heung-Min Son goal? By the way, yeah, it was. It's it's great. <laughs> a really good goal, but obviously, like I say, it's sort of facilitated by Jorginho sort of not really um, being able to track back as well as Kante, and then obviously David Luiz just completely fucking up for the lads as he did for the whole game, <laughs> and it was like just nothing seemed to go right for him really. But um, yeah, yeah, very like I say, very very surprised because like I say, Son he can do that sort of thing. Um, but obviously he's still been a bit off the pace this last few weeks because of the coming back from the Asian games. Um, mm. And it's sort of like he's still getting back to sort of where he was. And Pochettino said as much today um, about like bringing him back to fitness gently. But yeah, he looked, he, looked, he looked back on it today, which is really good to see. Yeah, trying to emulate Alan Hutton with the goal he scored. We'll probably get... <laughs> not, as good, not as good as that. No, that was like, I'm not going to argue for a second it was as good as Hutton's. <laughs> we'll probably get onto that a little bit later. But 
I mean, you you opened up a nice few topics there. Let, let's start with the, the whole Kante debate, because I think it's been around this week a little bit more than usual. Is Sari using Kante in the right way? Tim, you've probably seen a lot more of Chelsea than either me or Ryan. What, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, after this match, there were immediate calls for, well, Jorginho to be dropped and Kante to be moved to the like centre mid position or the centre defending mid position. And like, I say to that, have you not been watching Chelsea over the past three or four months, how we've been playing? Like, yeah, Jorginho was partly at fault for that song goal because he's not as quick as Son. He couldn't get back in time. Um, not as at fault for David, as David Luiz was. And I will come on to that in a second. <laughs> but um, there's no way you can drop Jorginho in the way Sarri is playing football with Chelsea Football Club because he's so pivotal. Like, we've talked in previous episodes where and mentioned how Jorginho's had more touches than entire teams over a weekend. Um, he's so crucial to the way Chelsea play and the way Sarri likes to coach. Um, he just dictates the play. And he has been exposed defensively in this match because Tottenham played him really well. They had like Sissoko on him, nicking the ball off him. He had so little time to turn and pass forward. And he just got pressurised and he's not used to that. Um, and I think in time that will, you know, he will grow and he'll improve and he'll get better at that. The whole thing with Kante um, being that, like, oh, should Kante get dropped or should Kante get moved? Kante can't do what Jorginho does in that centre position. And he doesn't, he can't pass as quickly. Yes, he's better going defensively and the role he's going, doing at the moment is playing more attacking. But there's no way that you'd have not have Kante on the pitch over having Kante on the pitch. Like, he's just crucial. Um, and there's no way that he would get dropped. Um, we saw in one of the Europa League matches when Barkley and Loftus-Cheek played on either side of Jorginho and it didn't work. Um, you need Kante in that team. And even though he's not great going forward, again, he will improve and he'll get better at that. And the fact that he ends up popping up in all these attacking positions is just showing that he is improving and will get better. Um, personally, I would quite like to see a sort of 4-2-3-1 formation with Jorginho and Kante lying behind, like an attacking three and then a striker up top. But... Again, I don't know how that would work with Sarri, but uh, there's no doubt Kante's better defensively, but there's no, also no way that you can drop either of them. Like you said at the beginning, if, if you've seen how Chelsea have played this season, this conversation I don't think would be happening because it's just going to take Kante a bit of time to develop into that new position. And I think he will develop perfectly fine. Yeah, I think he will. And um, like I said, you've got, you've got to have him there. And... And so I would maybe like to see them both lying deep and then having three attacking midfielders, especially because we've been struggling for goals um, that don't come from Hazard. But like that might give a bit more cover to defence, which is also shocking. David um, Louise, but um, like I think a lot of this would be solved if our defence was just to step up. So first of all, like Rudiger's been really good and I can't fault him. Aspilicueta has not been as good as I've wanted him to be, like, but I still have confidence that he's class. Marcus Alonso, we know he scores goals, but genuinely isn't good enough defensively. But David Luiz is just shit. Um, like, he's so bad. He's been directly at fault for seven of, of our 11 goals conceded this season. And if you saw Harry Kane's goal in this match, like... This is why I wanted to punch things. So Harry Kane picked the ball up like 25 yards out, shot. David Luiz jumped out of the way of it. Kepa couldn't see it and it just like rolled in. Well, not rolled, but like 
what would have been a very easy save was completely at David Luiz's fault because he didn't block the ball and then got in the way of the keeper. And it's stuff like that you saw for Son's goal where he just completely missed the tackle by running past him. Like, that's literally seven goals that could have been prevented if he, either he was a better defender or we had someone else in that position. Um, and he just he needs to get dropped. Like, he's quite good going forward and getting placed tied, but he needs to get dropped and work on his defending. One thing that I find quite interesting about David Luiz is that he's quite sought after by managers. I mean, at Benfica, he was class, signed by Chelsea. Then Chelsea sold him for a lot of money to PSG. He got in a team of the year with Thiago Silva whilst he was at PSG. And Chelsea then bought him back. He's probably one of the most all-round, bought, most expensive bought defenders if you add up all of his transfers together. So he's clearly not a terrible player, but... Why do you think managers spend so much money on him if he's always going to come back to perform the same way? It's a good point. And I think when he's at PSG, it's a bit of a different scenario. You're in League One, you're defensive, sort of you're more, you can be in the team, especially Silva, who's one of the best defenders in the world. Your defensive ability can sort of be a little bit less. And like, you know, if you're really good at starting attacks and passing like David Luiz is, then, you know, you can get in the team much more easily. And I think that really showed uh, when he was at PSG and when he got in team of the year. Um, and no qualms, I do love David Luiz as a person. The stuff he does for like charities and fans is great. Um, but like, he's just, he's defending in the Premier League, which is the, you know, the most difficult league in the world to play. And especially as a defender, he's just not up to scratch. And we've, you know, we've seen that there's just been, he, he can play really well for 88 minutes, but have, two switch-offs in a game that loses us the match um, like this one where he failed to tackle Son and just literally moved out of the way of a ball which led Kane to score um, so he, he just needs I don't know what he needs to go and sit on the bench a bit and work on it because he's just not up there it's all well and good our defence being rubbish and you know David Luiz being a fault but it's also the fact that we are so reliant going forward on Eden Hazard that even if our defence isn't up to it, we can't score goals. Um, yeah, Giroud came on and scored a header, which he needed because he hasn't scored in a lot of games. Um, and as you've mentioned, he's now the second top scorer from the bench in Premier League history, um, which is cool. But, you know, neither him nor Morata are starting centre-forwards that are good enough to score goals. Um, I think Morata just showed like he was in a little bit of form before the international break. I think he's shown how poor he has been, and this sums up his performance for Chelsea perfectly this season. He's been offside more times this season than the entirety of Bournemouth Football Club. Um, he was offside 16 times in two hours, which equates to seven minutes plus another two offsides. Um, it's ridiculous, and like. It's not even like, you know, when players are offside, they go on to score and then each gets deemed offside. He hasn't even scored them. Like, his finishing's been really bad anyway. Like, the desperation for Chelsea now to bring in a striker that can score is, you know, so, we are so desperate. Um, and then another winger would help as well because William is also shit. So, in summary, Chelsea are shit, according to you. <laughs> Loving that you absolutely styled that my stat as well that I wanted to ring out. Cheers yeah, for sorry. stealing that from me. <laughs> Did, little pop quiz. Who's number one? In what? Uh, most goals scored off the bench in Premier League history. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Chip. Has to be. 
It's Jermaine Defoe. It's Jermaine Defoe. 24, oh, really? 24 <laughs> goals off the bench. Um, I didn't even didn't even consider him as a super sub. I just I immediately thought of Solskjaer because like he always used to come off, didn't he? Yeah. Like, like United team in like the late nineties, so he'd always come on for like Cole or York or Sheringham. Suppose Defoe's been playing a bit longer in the Prem. That makes sense. Yeah, he's absolute longevity, right? So whilst Tim thinks Chelsea are shit and need to replace basically <laughs> the entire twenty-five man squad, Ryan yep. Spurs <laughs> looked absolutely on it, especially <clears throat> Mister Deli Alley who. Was having an absolute stormer. Yes, um, statistically, this has probably been his worst season for us. But you can see he's sort of he's offering so much more in terms of his obviously like the pass for Son's goal and just his overall play and just he he does stuff without even being noticed half the time, and it's really good because like I say a lot of people said like oh he doesn't do a lot in the game he doesn't score enough goals doesn't um, do this that and the other but he creates so much more space for everyone else it's just really nice to see and. It's only when you sort of like really have a look at the sort of the analysis of the of the game afterwards when they sort of slow it down, you realise how good he is at bringing players out of position. And he likes to say he creates so much more space for like Kane and Ericsson and whoever. Um, but yeah, he's he's really come on. He's he's becoming a lot more mature than that. Uh, the sort of like the young lad that turned up three years ago from Milton Keynes. He's really getting. Um, he's he's like adding so much more sort of like. Um, clever like sort of clever play to his game it's really good to see big news there for the top of the table of course Spurs beating Chelsea 3-1 if we move on to the bottom end of the table he's only bloody done it Claudio Ranieri (laughs) first game in charge of Fulham and it was a 3-2 win probably if you're a Fulham fan uh, you'd thought nothing had changed after Southampton took a what 17th 18th minute lead but he's, he's only gone and done it I mean yeah, I, I don't even know what the words are. How, no, how do you think? How big is that for Fulham? It's huge. It's absolutely huge. I mean, we know how good Ranieri is winning the title, obviously, but um, the fact that they can Fulham can come from behind and score three goals is massive because they've had a lot of defeats where they haven't scored, and obviously their defense really isn't up to it at the moment. But the fact if they can come back and score goals like they were doing in the championship you, you know they, they've got a chance of winning matches and like like we've mentioned before if they go down that's massively dangerous for the club um but so all they need to do is stay up and matches like this where they can come back from behind show some spirit which we haven't really seen from them uh, and beat other teams in that relegation battle is absolutely massive big big victory and speaking of big Mitrovic with two goals it, the man on his day, I mean, Ranieri said it after the match, on his day, he's one of the best strikers in Europe. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit big enough, but he's the top scorer in the UEFA Nations League currently. Uh, he, scored, oh. he scored the most headers in the Premier League this season in four. Is Mitrovic genuinely Fulham's best hope of staying up this season? Hell, yeah. I'd take him at Chelsea. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, yeah. He's he's a really good he's a really solid player. It's just one of those things that obviously didn't work out at Newcastle for various reasons. I think his temperament as well can get the best mm. of him sometimes, and you kind of it sort of brought out the good points of that. It'd be interesting to see how uh, Ranieri does work with him. Obviously, it's a very different mentality and a very different approach that Jukanovic used um, beforehand. Um, but yeah, like I said, just even from what you said a minute ago, I feel like the Fulham result has had a massive caveat on the fact that they played a very poor Southampton team. Yes, they <laughs> came back from behind, but like 
that is a very, very low on confidence and sort of like seems to be bereft of uh, ideas and bereft of a good manager, Samson. So, yeah, like I say, it'd be interesting to see how they go against Chelsea. Obviously, like I say, the so-called sort of system now, because Everton nullified Jorginho and obviously Spurs did it. It'd be interesting to see if um, Mitrovic gets tasked with just two-footing him for the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, like I say, they've got a bigger test to come, but it's that, it's that confidence base and it just gets you on the right on the right uh, way of thinking in terms of like winning games and know that you can win games at that level. And Claudio Ranieri is the man to win those games. Uh, you mentioned Southampton being pretty much bereft of any confidence and really poor. Is, is this showing that unless they do something drastic in sacking Mark Hughes, there, there's only one way they're falling down that table? Oh, definitely. Yes. <clears throat> like I say, you only have to look at the... Um, we talked about it before. I reckon, as I said before, like pound for pound, they're probably the worst team in the Premiership because, obviously, the, of the players they have. They have decent players. Uh, let's not forget about that. They've just got, like, a manager that seems to be just safety first, like, still had that mentality that, like, oh, we'll get them out, of, we'll get Samson out of danger. It's obviously what he did last year, just a battle. But they haven't really kicked on from there. Like, usually a team, you, you're in a relegation battle and you don't want to, you're just like, okay, we don't want to be going through that again. And he's just sort of almost gone, well, if we get... It's almost like he walked in in like the first day in July in training and goes, well, if we get 17, then that's a positive. And it just seems to have like, like seeped through the whole squad. They just look like they're really just running out of like sort of running out of ideas. And it took two really good bits of sort of like solo work from Stuart Armstrong to get them their goals. And Fulham just like, you always knew that Fulham were going to score though and they were going to get back in the game because just how, like I say, that how lowly they regard themselves at a match Samson. You mentioned the pound for pound. We've talked about it before. Pound for pound, Southampton being the worst team in the league. Pound for pound, do you think Mark Hughes is the worst manager in the league? Without a doubt. <laughs> Without a doubt. I just don't understand what what sort of message are you sending out to the to the fans when you say we've got a new manager? It's Mark Hughes. It's like <laughs> uh, it's just I don't know. I just don't understand like why anyone would get excited about that. I just like I I don't. It's not a very good. Um, it's not a very like sort of confidence building appointment. I just I just don't see it. I tell you what message it sends out. It's a message that sends out that we've hired a manager who has a win percentage at Southampton of fourteen point three percent, making him the worst manager in the history of Southampton's Premier League endeavours. He's won just th- three of his twenty-one Premier League games. Tells you everything you need to know. Uh, good win for Fulham. Southampton look like they are still falling. Right after the break, we're going to talk Manchester United versus Crystal Palace because things aren't all rosy at Old Trafford. And Arsenal continue bombing on as they beat Bournemouth away from home. Be back in a tick. If you're an MMA fan, be sure to check out the new Switchkick podcast. We preview upcoming events, discuss the big UFC and Bellator news, and John from Philadelphia drops in to give us a few betting tips. To listen, search for Switchkick MMA on SoundCloud or Switchkick in the Apple Store. Right, welcome back. We said we were going to talk Manchester United, so we are indeed. A nil-nil draw at home to Crystal Palace. It's Manchester United's worst start to a league campaign in over 28 years. Tim, what's happening at Old Trafford? Do we have I to? Mean, 
<laughs> it's it's the Mourinho effect, isn't it? Like I've been through it as a Chelsea fan. It's it's the worst. Um, the players don't want to play for him. Uh, his tactics seem to go awry. They're not playing good football. It's not it's not looking good if you're a United fan. And I'm sure you'll have much more opinion about this than I do. But like they've got the players there. Like they've got the individual talent, and they've all hit highs in their career. But just together. They don't seem to want to play, or they don't seem to be able to play together. Um, and, you know, I've heard Gary Neville talking over the past few weeks about, you know, the teams of uh, the 90s where it was a really, like, sort of harsh dressing room. But if you made a mistake, you know, they would be on you. Like, the older players, he was saying when they were coming up in, like, 1992, the players like Steve Bruce and Gary Pallister and Paul Lintz would be on you if you made a mistake. And that doesn't seem to be you know, the case at Man United, there are hardly any senior players that have actually got that authority. And, you know, they've got people that are getting paid loads of money to stay at the club, but, you know, there's no pressure on them to perform. And I just, they need a bit of kick up the arse. And I don't know what that is. If there's one thing that Manchester United don't need right now is someone going in on them because Jose Mourinho has got that fucking covered for most of the squad. Uh, the amount of... <laughs> the it's amount coming of from Mourinho, though. Yeah, true. The amount of players that he's managed to have a go at over the, his time at the club. But yeah, I think the problem is that you look at someone like Pochettino at Spurs. And yes, there was a lot of talk early doors in the season. Hasn't signed any players. What are they going to do? And they've just got on with life. And you don't hear anyone talking about that. Yeah, it Don't seems... need anyone, mate, do we? Got a fucking, <laughs> fucking Soko playing like... Uh, a young Patrick Vieira, so who needs <laughs> that's, that's exactly what United need. United need a young Patrick Vieira and not Marouane Fellaini hmm. elbowing everyone on the pitch. But it, it's looking... I think the best word to describe United's play at the moment is stale. It just <clears> looks like there's nothing really coming from anyone. No one knows what to do on the ball and... And the, I think the the summary of United's play was Marcus Rashford did absolutely brilliantly from, I think it was a corner from Palace. He put in two sliding tackles to win the ball back, broke up the pitch, fed the ball to Alexis Sanchez, who had been on the pitch for about five minutes. United was three on one, and somehow he managed to pass the ball out for a throw-in. <laughs> and and if, if I've not seen a period of play that sums up Manchester United's season at the moment... It was it was that one in a nutshell, but it was it was not good from United. On the other side of things, Palace actually played really well. They had their most shots in a Premier League away game and probably could have won it. Andros Townsend, Messi S skipped through about three tackles and then twatted the ball wide. But a mm-hmm. really good result if if you're Palace because going to Old Trafford, you probably would have been scared. No, Ryan. Yeah, I feel like this is one of my sort of like classic um, things that I don't really like when not, not necessarily like the, that we do, it, but it's sort of just in general, like newspapers and other media do when like a team like palace gets like a draw at United, they always seem to focus on what's going wrong at United. Whereas like, that's like, like you said, it's a really fantastic result for palace. And like, they didn't just go out there and like, they had a, they had a fair a go at, at winning the game. They didn't just sit there and put like five men behind in midfield, five at the back and then have Wayne Hennessy, like having a worldie. They played really well. 
And I feel like a part of that has got lost in the last couple of days. Like I say, talking about this like whole Mourinho thing and like uh, United aren't playing very good football. Like Palace, they, they equipped themselves really well. And like I said, they, they should have won the game, in my opinion. Looking at like, like I say, looking at the chances both teams had taking it into account, Palace had way better chances. And it's like just one of those things, again, I've talked about before. It's like whether they believe they can go there and win, a bit like what we mm. talked about Everton the other day at Chelsea. Like, can they actually believe that they're going there to win a game? If they can, I reckon one of those chances goes in, and all of a sudden um, you've got a different you've got a different result. And then, like you say, you're talking about Palace more than you're talking about United. But yeah, they, they did fantastically well, and they were good against Spurs as well. Really surprised me, like how um, how they've sort of come on over the last few weeks. Because like at the start of the season, I, I didn't really think they were going to do a much, and and now they're sort of like seeming to play better in the bigger games, which is good to see. Like I say, it makes it a lot more competitive. They probably would have been wary of United, especially in the sort of final few moments of the game, especially what happened uh, at Palace last season where United turned a, yeah. a 2-0 deficit around. But I mentioned they had 13 shots, the most in the Premier League this season. Only two of them were on target. And a lot has been said about the likes of Wilfred Zaha, Andros Townsend. But do you think it's they're not going to get wins until they find maybe Benteke back who will actually put the chances away because it seems like converting those chances are, are what they're struggling to do at the moment. You say that though, but like I said, the last the last game I can remember Benteke playing in was the game against Southampton where he missed about <laughs> three or four really, really <laughs> good chances and they ended up losing 2-0. Um, I don't really know. Really. Like I, said, I, feel, I feel like they're not far off in terms of being like a decent, well, they are a decent mid-table team, which is like I said, nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, maybe they should just do with, like I say, a finisher. Um, but like I say, if Townsend takes that chance towards the end, then it's a completely different ball game there. Um, so yeah, like I say, I, I feel like they're they're maybe like one one striker off of a consistent striker off of being a good team. Like we saw that at the Spurs game as well when that Sawloth ran through from like five yards out, just twatted it straight to the race. And it's like you. <laughs> You have like a decent striker, that's a one-all draw and that's a good point. And then you go to a traffic get a nil-nil draw and that's a good point as well. And it's like I say, they're just, they're just nearly there. And you can see uh, Hodgson's getting a bit frustrated with it, the fact that they can't take the chances. Especially that Townsend one, he looked like he was going to belt someone at the end of the game. <laughs> he really did. You know, the weirdest thing about that Townsend chance, I've, I've watched Andros Townsend play for a long time now. I've never seen him shoot with his right foot. And it looked tailor-made for him to just shape up, open up and just roll it in the bottom corner with his left. And for some reason, he went side foot with the right and it went wide. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not complaining, to be honest. I'm not complaining <laughs> at all. Yeah, that's a good thing. Not good for United at the moment. Not good at all. And I, we always kind of have to ask the question, especially with Jukanovic leaving Fulham, being the first manager sack. Do you think Mourinho's the next man to go? Is he taking United as far as he can, Tim? I mean, I said it quite early on when there was the issue with, like, is it Pogba going to go or is Mourinho going to go? Um, I've heard less of the talk now, but I think, you know, if they can, now I think if they continue, then, you know, they, it's Man United. They expect to be challenging for the title, I think, maybe in January or something or, you know, before January so that they can sort out the transfer market or they might risk, you know, leaving it too late and not being able to make the points up. So I think, you know, they desperately need top four. Um and I don't think Mourinho is the one that's going to do it. I think often a change of manager can, you know, positive that the players actually want to play for them again. I think that's what United need. So even if it's only a temporary one for six months, um, I think getting rid of Mourinho probably is the right decision. 
Well, one team who did shake things up management style and have really benefited from it, Arsenal. 17 ah. matches now, unbeaten. They beat Bournemouth 2-1. And, and we'll talk about possibly the, the biggest point of the game. How good was Jeff Lerma's own goal? It was rifled in. Rifled in. What a finish. As you will not see a better own goal this season, I don't think. Absolutely leathered that passing. And another mini pop quiz for you guys. Three Colombians have scored own goals in the Premier League. Who are they? I, I will say as well, sorry, just to make it clear, that Jeff Lerma is one of those players. So it's... it's <laughs> Two it's, more. Many thanks, yeah. <laughs> uh, did Falcao score one when he was at United or Chelsea? Falcao did not score one, no. Uh, did did Davinson Sanchez, has he scored one for Spurs? I feel like he has. Davinson Sanchez has. He is on the yeah, list. Davinson yeah. Sanchez has scored an own goal. He is a Colombian as well. So one more, but... one more to get. So that's one nil, to one nil which, to Ryan. Which Colombians have played the Premiership? The other Sanchez, the guy with the afro. Uh, Carlos Sanchez. No, he spent some time at Villa, but I don't think he's he has. West he is. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's on on the treatment table. Ospina. It's, no, it's a good shout. <laughs> Scott it's Ospina's his own net. Yeah, he's quite far back. Oh. Not, not not super far back, still in the 2000s. Oh, yes, yes, I've got it. Yeah, I, I was at the game. I know this one. It won Pablo. Sure. Yes! <laughs> that, was a, that, was the sh- that was the shittest single performance I've ever seen from a player. <laughs> <laughs> we went, it was, it was Villa, Villa in 2006, I think, or 2005. And we went there, like, obviously, sat in the away end. And um, he missed a penalty. And then three minutes later, went and headed the ball into his own net. The Villa fans were just calling him twats. Like, it was just, <laughs> like they were just kicking off. Worst. Apart from that, Tom and John Walker scored them two own goals and missed a penalty. That was the worst like live performance I've ever seen from a footballer. Oh, the, oh, the John Walters one was bad. One of his own goals was like a proper flying header as well. Yeah, really? <laughs> I got Tom Salaitis at that game as well. That was horrible. Just, to, <laughs> just make it even worse. Yeah, the own goal gave me the illness. Was the own goal that bad? Yeah. I was about to say. Yeah, it's like the illest I've been at a football game. <laughs> oh, well, bringing it back to the probably the main points of the Arsenal game. 17 games unbeaten, as I said. Arsenal played really, really well. Bournemouth, two home losses on the bounce now for them. But like we said, I think before the international break, they've got a, a very tough run of games to come. But like I say, it's, it, again, interesting one would like to say Bournemouth, they... They have got a few fixtures coming up, and it's be interesting to see what happens if um, they do lose a few, because then people start maybe getting on the back of um, Eddie Howe saying like, "Oh, they had this good start, but now they're sort of crumbling a bit." And obviously, and it won't particularly be that fair, considering, like, say, you're running the fixtures they have. Um, but it's it's one of those games where it could have gone either way as well. So the Bournemouth aren't playing badly. Um, it's just like obviously they just maybe need to get a bit more luck in those situations, and then maybe maybe they could have got a draw. I think we mentioned it in earlier pods. Bournemouth's early season form is really, really going to help them because they picked up a lot of points there. And and it's basically almost banking points for this point in the season where they have to play Arsenal, Manchester United before the international break. I think they've got Liverpool coming up as well. Mm. So a a nice little bank of points to sit But it also means they can just go and play with freedom. Now in those games, like if they go to Anfield and get beat like two or three nil, but at least they have a go. Like, it doesn't they don't gain anything or they don't lose anything either? 
So it's like because they already have, like I said, they've always got already got the wins against like West Ham. That was a good win earlier in the year, and sort of like winning all the home games um, that they did in the start of the season. So like I say, it's afforded them the chance that if they have a couple of losses, it won't be as detrimental as if they were in the bottom three. If we look at the Arsenal side of things, a good win for them, especially away from home. They've now won the same amount of games that they won away from home already this season than they won in the whole of last season. They've won four out of six of their away games this year. Under Wenger's last season, they only won four out of 19. Tim, do you think this is a a very new-look Arsenal side now? Do you think they can challenge for that top four? Yeah, honestly, I do. Like, I think now's a very good time to be an Arsenal fan. Um, Emery's done a great job. I think, again, it was the... They got a change of manager, sort of freshen up the club a bit. And I think the best thing Emery's done is managed to get a, you know, two really great strikers in Aubameyang and Lacazette either playing in the same team or rotating and scoring goals, which, you know, they didn't have last year and they haven't, Arsenal haven't had for a while of having, like, you know, actual goal scorers. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing he's done. But, you know, they look to be playing sort of free-flowing attacking football that we all know them for. Uh, and, like... I don't think he's done anything major. He just like, whether it's a change of attitude and sort of some tactics that have worked, but um, I think he's doing really well. I think having Torreira there, having, you know, brought in a, a good defensive midfielder has helped as well. Um, and there are still, pro- there's still progress to be made at Arsenal. Like they can tighten up the defence a bit um, and maybe get a bit more squad depth. But, you know, I think he's just done a good job, which is actually understated uh, in the Premier League because you see so many people failing. Um, that to just come in and do some simple things right, I think, you know, Emery's done a really good job. Do you think, and I don't want to be a bit of a dick in saying this, but do you think it shows how much Wenger was holding Arsenal back in the later years, just how quickly Arsenal seemed to have turned everything around, Ryan? Um, I don't know. I think that's a bit harsh on Wenger. And I feel I like you're a bit of a dick for saying it. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I know what you mean. But like I so said, I'm still intrigued to see what happens after um, I, would, I, would, I don't know why I always find it interesting to see what happens after like the first if you get like a foreign manager into the premiership what happens after the first time they have to play through Christmas fixtures because often like it, it sort of yeah. takes a toll on the squad and they're maybe not as used to it from coming from like maybe the Bundesliga um, so it'll be interesting to see what position they're in after that and obviously when the Europa League gets going again after Christmas whether they still can sustain it um, I do feel like he maybe has brought in some new ideas Apparently, he's like really obsessed with like taxis and stuff. He'll like watch football a lot on his time off as well, Emery. Um, so maybe he's sort of like adding a new dimension to it and bringing some new ideas in. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's a bit harsh on Benga, like I say, because he for the, all this stuff, ha- half the people that support Arsenal now wouldn't be Arsenal fans if it wasn't for Arsenal Benga, because they'd like obviously they wouldn't have been as good as they were over the last 20 years. And then they could have easily been sort of like a lower mid table team, which is what they were when he sort of took over. So I feel like, yeah, towards the end of the time, maybe he didn't really know what he was wanting from the club, like success-wise. But I feel like it's a bit harsh on that of Wenger. But like I say, Emery's done a good job, though. You can't take that away from him. Can't take that away from him indeed, but I am a yeah, dick. Confirmed. Right, confirmed dick. Right, that brings an end to our Premier League review bit. Now let's move on to some talking points from this week's football. I'm going to start it off with a Premier League one. And just because I was watching the game last night, I don't know if you saw Sam Vokes' header. He scored a header from the edge of the box. <laughs> and, and I was sad, so I went to Google how far out he was. 
and Opta came up with the stats for me. He scored from 17.65 yards out. That's the furthest goal in the Premier League, which was a header since Jamie Vardy. I don't remember Jamie Vardy scoring a header from 18 yards out. Jesus Christ. That is... I love the way they've ended the tweet. It just says, neck. <laughs> that is that is impressive. So that was, a, that was one of my talking points from this week. Tim, what have you got uh, for us? I've got a couple. I'm going to start off with, uh, if you're watching La Liga recently, just Lionel Messi. Like, the nutmeg that he performed. Like, there's slow motion videos of it going around everywhere. He, he heads the ball to control it. It comes back down. It's behind him. He sticks his left leg out and like cushions it and then nutmegs the player and then carries on running. Like, oh, he's just the best ever. He's so good. It was a fluke. (laughs) It was not a fluke. Yes, it was. You look at the. There's no way he means that. There's absolutely no way at all. It's like the uh, Burkamp one against Newcastle. Same thing. He takes a a bad touch and he gets lucky. Nah, I think he meant it. (laughs) Even if he got lucky. Or. Okay, so I, I've seen the Lionel Messi one and and I, I think he did mean it because you look where he is. Whether or not he meant to nutmeg him or not mm. is a different question, but he definitely means to turn away from him with that skill. The Birdcamp one, I'm that's with Ryan. Fluke. That's I don't all day, that's a fluke. <laughs> I don't think he means I think, it. I, I don't all. know, I just feel like that, you know the bit where it comes off the Atletico's defender's leg? I feel like that that's what makes it because yeah. then you can turn around on the balls at his feet and you can just run off. Like otherwise, you have to run around him. It's <laughs> annoyance. I, I think you're right. He gets lucky, but it's still just amazing. He's a uh, he's on a higher plane to the rest of us mere mortals. Lionel Messi, he can think far far into the future. Tim, you said you had another uh, one. Yeah, just Matt Ritchie. Oh, it was so bad. The ball came across. Um, I think from Yedlin, and he was there was literally an open goal. He was two yards away and puts it wide and over the bar. Just shocking. But if they, oh, they want, so it's all right, they'll get away with it. But if they lost that match, oh, he would not have had a fun evening. There's, there's something <laughs> about that end of... Um, there's something about that end of uh, Turf Moor that does things to players. Because I remember Sterling did a very similar miss here last season. You know when he gets like... He's like three yards yeah. out and he, he dribbles past the post. And it was like even worse than that, as Tim said. Like, he's really bad. It, but it's like one of those ones that's really funny as well. <laughs> Do you reckon it's intentional? Do you reckon Burnley are doing it on purpose? Yeah. Matt, Matt Ritchie ends up in the goal and he's clearly like thinking like, oh, balls, I should have done this the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah. It, but it was just trying to think, he didn't believe he'd done it. He was just sitting there. He was like trying to be angry. At it, so he was, he was like looking at the post, like thinking about, oh, should I punch the post or not? And he's like, no, you just, you just fucked it up there, mate. you just got to go on with it. <laughs> <laughs> just just move on with it. Um, well, one man who doesn't miss, Glenn Bloody Murray. He scored the most goals from any English player in Europe's top five leagues. Uh, or the thing that I love most about the wording of that, that sentence is that whoever wrote that down was definitely aware that Jaden Sancho has been playing very well yeah, in Germany. And Rich Nelson, like I say, he's thinking, oh, maybe yeah. Rich Nelson's got more. Or maybe there's some guy in like, the Sweden <laughs> leagues that no one knows about and he scored like 20. Yeah, he's just like, oh my God, let's make sure, please. <laughs> oh, that man, that man does just score goals. He keeps going. Tell you, bloody keeps going. Alan Pun, <laughs> he's still running now. Run all the way back to Aberdeen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so, it's so oh, good. What a goal. 
What a goal that was. It was literally Messi-esque. Like, he just, you watch clips of, like, Messi's best moments, and that's exactly what he did. And he just brushed off players and kept running. Oh. It wasn't, wasn't Messi-esque because he actually meant that. So far, my favourite of the Alan Hutton videos. It's a great goal. It's not quite as good, though, until you've watched it with the Titanic music <laughs> played Everything, underneath. Everything's made better by that. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, I'll, uh, I'll, put it, I'll put the link on, uh, on our <laughs> socials because it, it's just unbelievable. Um, <laughs> just, it's a great goal. Absolutely great finish from the lad. Oh, right. Well, that, that brings my talking points to an end. Ryan, what have you got um, for sticking us? Sticking with the championship, two words. Angel, Rangel. Absolutely oh yeah. Um, <laughs> scored two goals. I like. I, I literally just just finished watching the highlights, catching up on the football league highlights from Saturday. The best bit about it though is um, for those people that didn't know, um, QPR got a two-two draw at Stoke, which is like I said, a very good um, result considering the way that QPR started the season. They looked a bit out of form, and, and they seem to have uh, cured that under Steve McLaren. Angel Rangel scores two goals. It's the first time he scored. Um, goals in, in any league for about five or six years like because he's not prolific um, as anyone that likes say Swansea um, Swansea players uh, Swansea fans would know um, but um, the best bit about it is he scores the first goal it's a really good header goes into the top corner then the um, the highlights pan to Steve McLaren and you can order, like you can lip read and say what the fucking hell is he doing that far forward it's like, it's not even, you know, like sometimes when a man, when someone scores and like it's a bit like they're laughing and joking about it and like, it's, oh, bloody hell, he's, he's, he's scored. Can't believe it. He genuinely looks angry. He looks really annoyed. Like, you find it on Twitter. It's really funny. He's just like, he turns to his assistant. He's like proper, like, he's got his hand out, like pointing to him, like, what the fucking hell is he doing that far forward? <laughs> and it's like, mate, you've just gone one to one. Calm down. And then, oh. it just reminded me on, on the Chelsea Tottenham. Um, theme from earlier reminded me of the time when Sandro scored that goal at Stamford Bridge you know and he sort of like hit him from about 30 yards to Spurs it was about six, seven years ago mm. and he runs over to Harry Redknapp to celebrate and Redknapp just bollocks him for being too far up the pitch and he's just like <laughs> I can't do that. it was brilliant I love it when like, they just go and they just lose their heads for a minute and then forget that their team's actually winning and it's, they've done a good thing Oh, so I've just watched the video now. McLaren's like unscrewing yeah. a water bottle at the time and then stops unscrewing it to put his hand he looks, up. Yeah, <laughs> he looks like someone's knocked on his door on Christmas Day. He genuinely looks really angry. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, that's unbelievable. Oh, that's, I've got so yeah, much time for that. So much time. He's one of those sort of honest players who he did, he put in a lot of service for Swansea, obviously. Um, left to keep going. And he's see, like I say, he's, he's into his like mid to late thirties now, and he's still doing, still playing to a good level of football. And he's one of the people he just sort of seems quite likable as a person as well. So I'm glad he scored. And he when he scored his second as well, it was right in front of the QPR fans. He just looked really like he started doing like a little jig, and he was like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> this is rare enough, like, like twice in one day. I'm also, I think one of the things I love about Angel Rangel as well, and and I want to compile a list of it. It's foreign players who have learnt their English yeah. at the club they play for and have the most niche yes. accents and I love it like his is the most Welsh Spanish <laughs> accent I've ever it's, heard it's, what, no, it's what's known as the um, Jan Mulby effect because he was the first one to know when he was in <laughs> Liverpool when he has this like Danish Scouse hybrid accent yeah it's, it's, it's great isn't it really good there is just countless players that i could list off but we don't want this pod to continue on um <laughs> last thing that i wanted to mention 
It's a South American esque. The Copa Libertadores. What has happened with that? I don't know if you boys have been keeping up with it. It's been postponed again and now won't take place in Argentina or in this month at all. It's not going to take place now until apparently the 8th or 9th of December. Give it to Boca Juniors. Award it to Award it to them. I genuinely, no, I genuinely believe that. Because like the, the, what yeah. they had to do, I mean, like it, it, it draws a parallel with the um, what happened to Dortmund when their team bus got attacked last year, if you remember that in the Champions League. Um, mm-hmm. And it's very similar to that, but Dortmund were asked to play 24 hours later when their players are still recovering from injuries. And I, I feel like if you're going to do that and you're going to cause harm to people who are there to play football, just award them the game. They won't do it again. Um, or, or like I say, it'd go a bit um, left field and just play it behind closed doors and just have it in a neutral country. Like I say, no fans allowed in, a bit like the Croatia-Spain game. No, the Croatia-England game, sorry. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's yeah. a disgrace. Absolute disgrace. Um, Pochettino yeah. came out and spoke about this as well, saying about basically he thinks that um, Argentine football is sort of in the same um, sort of like condition that English football was in maybe 30, 35 years ago with like hooliganism being a real problem. Um, so obviously it will need to be sort of stamped out. And then, like I say, the only way to do that is sanctions, really. And it's what sort of like happened with um, sort of British football, the idea of like banned from Europe after the Hazel disaster. Um, and like I said, that will get the message across if, if teams are sort of banned from playing in Europe or, or their continental competitions. Um, I feel like that would bring an end to it, personally. It's like I say, it's a bit of a sort of serious point, but I, I genuinely think it's just it's an absolute disgrace. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, it, it gets to the point where, yes, you go out to watch football and you have a good time. There is no need to be strapping flares to your young daughter and throwing tear gas and stones at the opposition bus. You're only taking away the one thing that you've all gathered exactly, to go and yeah. watch. I've always had the idea that like, like, whenever I see like football hooligans and stuff, it always strikes me as a very sort of childish thing to do. Like people sort of going there and like, especially like you get like older people and they go there and sort of like dressed up in all like, the, especially in England, like all like the sort of like the brands, like Stone Island and stuff like that. And it's all, we're going to kick their head in. It's like, mate, grow up. <laughs> yeah, for a bit of football, you're probably like a chartered accountant and you're sitting like, kick people in there. Like, um, I yeah, I always found it a bit childish. And like I say, it's, yes, it's a big game. I'm not denying that. And yes, it's one of the biggest rivalries in world football, but like, it's it's just a bit. It's just, you know, it's getting out of hand. Like you say, when you've got people attacking the bus and, and that to that extent, it's just nonsense. It is nonsense, indeed. Right, on that note, I think we will call it a day. Thank you very much for all of your expertise on these Premier League games this weekend. We try. Thank you. <laughs> we try, indeed. We will be back, or try to be back, at least on Thursday slash Friday with a Premier League preview for this weekend which I'm sure will definitely include the big game, the North London derby. Ryan, any thoughts quickly before um, we go? I'll take a one-all draw if you shook my hand right now. <laughs> I would if I would if we were in the room <laughs> together. Get out, draw, right. get out of there with a draw. Get out of there with a draw. That'll do. And that'll do for this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back later this week. Until then, see you later. Bye.